there, I'm Dr. Amy King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you're a professional who wants to have a greater impact in the lives of children and families by building resilience, this podcast is for you. Join us to become a trauma-informed champion by nurturing connections through relational health to help kids and families thrive. Every time you join me, you'll hear practical information and leave with tangible tools you can use every day. Well, hey friends, it's Dr. Amy coming to you again. Um, During the month of December, we've been talking about focusing on what really matters in terms of connection and being a connected champion for kids. And I am so excited to be joined today by my guest here today. Um, This is Joey Odom, and he is the co-founder of ARO. Joey recently relocated to Knoxville, Tennessee from Atlanta. He has a wife and two kids, which I'll let him talk about his family. Um, But prior to founding RO, Joey was an executive in commercial real estate. And like his co-founder, he realized that his phone was distracting him from the most important thing in life, his family. He is famous for saying, when you change your relationship with your phone, you change your relationship with everyone around you, including yourself. So Joey, thank you so much for being here today. Amy, thank you so much. So good to see you. Really excited to talk today. Me too. So that's kind of, you know, a little intro bio. Um, Tell the listeners a little bit more about you and how you came into, you know, you were in commercial real estate. What what happened? What was the shift? (laughs) Well, I'll I'll take it back even even before then. So my my son, who's now 15, uh, when he was five years old, he was playing his very first soccer season. So this was um, Harrison, who is just the most wonderful kid in the world. He is at 15. He was at five, just a great kid. But Amy, he was not the best soccer player. So we were we were out on another Saturday and everybody on the team, and I know everybody has experiences like this. There's always the kid who hasn't scored a goal. And Harrison was that kid. So he's playing this soccer season where, again, we're, we lug the lawn chairs out to the sidelines and we sit there and this particular Saturday, something kind of magical happened. So, and I think back on this, this moment, Amy, as almost like a, like a movie, you know, goes in slow motion, you cue the cinematic music, Harrison rears back his leg, he kicks the soccer ball, it goes end over end into the back of the net. So Harrison scores his very first soccer goal and all the, every, you know, everybody, all the parents, coach, everybody knew that this was a big moment because Harrison had scored his first goal. So the crowd goes wild. The coach comes out, picks him up, and what does a five-year-old boy do when he scores his first soccer goal? Of course, the very first thing he did was he turned to the sidelines to lock eyes with me. So we had this amazing moment of connection. He sees the smile on my face. He knows that dad's proud of him, which is beautiful, except I missed the goal. I missed the aftermath. I missed the eye contact. I missed the connection. He didn't see a look of pride on my face because... I was looking down on my phone and I know this, I know all of that happened because I still have the bruises on my ribs from my wife's elbow saying, Harrison just scored. You missed his first soccer goal because you're looking at your phone. And that was one of, I'd love to say that was a singular moment. That was the only time something like that had happened, but it wasn't. This was, this was a recurrence. This was something that, you know, I didn't miss every soccer goal, but I did miss moments, whether they were big like this, a cool moment, or really even small insignificant moments. What's interesting is there are probably a lot of moments I have no idea that I missed because I was looking down at my phone. And so this was, this was a growing 
feeling of dis-ease inside of me that I knew if you were to ask me what's most important to you, I would have given three answers. I would have said Kristen, my wife. I would have said Harrison, my, my son. I would have said Gianna, my daughter. But if you were to look at the evidence of my life, my eyes were directed towards something different, very largely, and that was my phone. And, and by the way, in all of this, Amy, this is, I, we try to not be too reductive in this, it, but this is, the, this is the absolute truth for me is that I was missing all these moments. So I was in, as you mentioned, I was in commercial real estate for 15 years. Things were going well and until I got a text one day from Heath Wilson, who we had met years before we had kind of been in contact. He had just sold a business and he said, Hey, I have an idea. Let's, let's have lunch and talk about it. So as, as he described this problem that he was seeing in society, primarily with himself, it resonated with me because I had been feeling the exact same thing. Yes. My family's too important for me to sacrifice all the important moments and their futures because I'm looking at my phone. So it was, it was that day over that lunch where you just, it was something that was just this immediate yes in my gut that said, we have to do this. And it began, Amy, it, it didn't begin, begin with saying, Hey, let's go build a cool product or Hey, let's go build a brand or a business. No, no, no. It was, let's figure this out for our families. And if we can figure this out for our families, I bet you it'll help a lot of other families as well. So that's when it started. That was about five years ago. And we've been on the journey ever since with this singular focus on solving the biggest issue facing families today. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I'm listening to your story and like my heart hurts for Harrison. Mm, yeah. My heart hurts for you and your wife, but not because it's like a, oh, I'm so sorry for you. It's because I know I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, we all have these moments. Mm. And I, I feel like um, one of the most important things to me and my listeners know this is about connection Yeah. and the way we help and heal and build resilience is through connected relationships. And it's so hard to do that when we have a barrier yeah. in between us. Um, and so mm. tell me as you and Keith started talking about like, we need to solve a problem. I mean, that feels really big because yeah. there, there is, you know, I, I don't think it's um, minimizing to say we have an addiction to these mm. little computers that we carry around with us everywhere. Yeah. How did you even begin to think about this in a way of solving a problem? Well, one, one thing that was, was both comforting and you know, discomforting was the fact that I would talk about this. I would be very upfront with people about, Hey, this is something that I've struggled with and I missed the soccer goal. And it was, it was constant this, this, Oh, me too. It was always this. I have experienced that. So I, in, in the way it was comforting was for me to know that I wasn't alone. That's been one of the, to me, that's one of the best things when you go, for example, when you go into therapy or anything like that, or counseling, when you describe your thing and then the professional will give it a name because you think, oh, okay, so that means that others have gone through this and others have overcome this. And so it was comforting to hear that I wasn't alone in this. It was comforting to know that we have an opportunity to do something. But in another way, in other ways, it was, you know, it was discouraging as you think, oh my gosh, this is every family out there. And it's particularly true with, and I bet anybody who's listening, you know, right now to the most important message who's listening to this, this podcast, 
they have high intentions. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't already a high achiever, if you didn't already have high intentions, if you, if you weren't already, you know, making good things out of your life. And so we probably recognize that more inside of ourselves. So that was the first thing was, was hearing that, oh, it's not just us. That was one. We had a thesis at that time that's, that said, yes, there's a lot probably wrong with the way we manage phones, the way that the, the, the more, less about the way we manage, but more about there's a lot wrong with what we consume on our phones. So it could be nefarious. It could be, um, it could be addicting like games and things like that. It could be heck there are child predators and social media, the comparison trap, all of that. That's, that's, there's a lot of serious stuff there, but we said, what if we went to the core relationship we have with our phone? Because I believe, and you said, you said in my bio, I believe that when we change our relationship with our phone, we change our relationship with everyone around us. In other words, we change our relationship with the most important things. When we change the relationship with something that's not important to us, ultimately, we change the relationship with things that are the most important to us. So that's what it was. So we began to examine the relationship we have with our phone. The current relationship society has with technology, and by the way, let's, let's not forget we're about 15 years into this. We are very early. It's easy to have this feeling of resignation. We hear in some ways with, with families a feeling of resignation. Well, just kids and their phones or, oh, you know, this is how it is. We, we push back on that. And I would encourage the listener right now, if you feel that, oh, this is just the way it is, I'd encourage you to challenge that. And I'll challenge it for you. I don't believe that's true. I believe the world can look a lot different and this is one reason because we've been we've been looking at this for five years and we know it is we're hearing the stories of, of life looking different. But the current relationship we have with our phone is that it's with us all the time, period. 91% of us have our phones with us 24 hours a day. We don't have to move our feet to reach our phones 24 hours. And that's a problem because the phones are constantly calling out to us. They're beckoning to us. And in fact, in, but maybe in a little bit different way than we might think. Because a lot of people say, oh, just silence your notifications. Great idea. I highly encourage it. However, statistics say our phone usage is 89% self-initiated. So we're the ones who are initiating the, the thing with our phone. It's not saying, hey, pick me up, pick me up. It's, you know, through buzzes and dings and notifications. No, no, no. It's us saying, gosh, what was that Matthew McConaughey movie when I was in eighth grade? You know, and you go and look up whatever the Matthew McConaughey movie was. And the next thing you know... You're checking the weather, and the next thing you know, you're down this huge doom scroll loop. So our current relationship says that it's with us all the time. So that is the core thing that we've gone to address. How can we make it easy to put some distance between us and our phones? Which sounds, even as I say it, Amy, that sounds ridiculous. I, I, I fully understand that sounds totally ridiculous. But another thing that sounds ridiculous is to pay money to go to a place that helps you burn calories. But all of us belong to gyms. You may or may not know, you can burn calories for free at your home. You can, do, you, can, you can put on some shoes and you can run around the block. That'll burn calories for you. You wanna build some muscle? Great. You can do push-ups and you can do those for free. However, it's hard. But because most of us understand the value of exercise, we understand the value of keeping our bodies healthy, we will sacrifice other things to remove the fridge, such as money, to remove the friction of doing something difficult that is valuable. So you go to a gym, 
you pay for someone to tell you what to do, what to work out, to provide the equipment for you, to have the accountability, to have the relationship, to have the groups, the people you work out with, all of that stuff is just removing friction of doing something difficult. So that's the exact same thing we have to look at this with our phones is when we recognize how important it is, truly what's at stake, and you know this better than anybody when, when it comes to children and trauma and children and, and the way they develop, when you understand what's at stake for them, forget yourself for a minute, that's fine, yourself you know, equally so, but for kids, when you realize what's at stake, you will absolutely do whatever it takes to figure this out. And it is encouraging that society is waking up at this and they're saying, this doesn't feel right. It's almost the secondhand smoke moment when you think, yeah, it's not just hurting me, but it's hurting those around me. So we have gone to, that's an extraordinarily long way to say, our whole thesis is around how can we change the core relationship with our phones by making it easy for people to put them down and spend time apart from them, not for the sake of spending time apart from your phone, but for the sake of doing what's on the other side of screens, which is connecting with others and connecting with yourself and enriching yourself and others. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. Um, you know, my listeners are, are brilliant professionals who work in the lives of kids. And I wanna just point out a couple of really practical things pulling from what you said. Um, you know, you said when you change a relationship with your phone, you change a relationship with everyone around you. Yeah. Often when I'm giving talks in public spheres, what I say to people is that all of us have a need to have what Dr. Daniel Sumrock calls ritualized compulsive comfort seeking, right? We all mm. do. Um, some of us bite our nails. Some of us twirl our hair. Some of us drink alcohol, look at pornography, shop too much, right? A phone is no different. It's ritualized mm. compulsive comfort seeking. And often we do it when we are bored, when we're yeah. not sure what to do with ourselves, when we're uncertain or uncomfortable, you just see people start scrolling, right? Looking yeah. down. And the example that I often use when I'm speaking is, you know, when is the last time you went to pick your favorite coffee spot and just stood in line and looked mm. around at people? And or maybe chatted with the person in front of you or behind you or played peekaboo with the baby that's in the stroller behind you or chatted with your kid who's waiting with you or talked to the barista for just a moment. Mm. But we don't. We're on our phones and we're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling because we're uncomfortable. Mm. And to me as a psychologist, we have to be okay with being uncomfortable. Yeah. We have to be okay with being bored at mm. times, right? without yeah. just distracting ourselves with this thing, because I want to leap to something else you said, which is because what's at stake, mm. right? I want to hear from you, yeah. what you and Heath have heard so far in stories about what's at stake, but what I'll share with listeners and, and my listeners know I'm kind of dorky when it comes to like neurobiology and trauma, but I want to, I, I want everybody to know that this has biological physiological mm. underpinnings Children do not develop empathy mm. without connected relationships, without what we call mirror neurons, where I'm seeing and you, I can see your face right now, Joey. I could tell if you're happy or if you look sad or disappointed. And the only way I can do that is by looking, glancing at you, hearing your tone of voice, focusing on, and my brain is encoding that right mm. now. It doesn't happen without yeah. connection. It yeah. just, so when people say it's not just like, oh, like I, I love what you said. Well, kids are just on phones today. Well, gosh, everybody else is doing it, right? 
Yeah. We are robbing our kids mm. of an important developmental task, which yeah. is understanding how to regulate without a device and understanding how to have empathic responses from other people. Mm. What else have you and Heath heard from people about what's at stake and or what what they're what they're noticing when they begin yeah. to relate to this differently? Well, I want to you, you touched on something on the boredom and what happens when you what happens when you put your phone down and and I I want to touch on that real quick because I think that's that's really important to focus on. And it's I'll say it again, it's not because we need to put our phones down. That doesn't matter. What what matters is to your point what's what's at stake, but then also there is a really cool world happening around us. And, and I don't say that almost romantically. And I'll give a very practical story for myself. Several years ago, my family and I, we were in New York. We were at a crowded area in Columbus Circle. We were at Whole Foods there. And there was this, there was, and it was jam-packed. And so my 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 kids, my wife are shopping. I said, I'm just going to stand over here. This is this is a little sensory overload for me. And so I I put my hand on my phone to pull it out. That was my natural response. And I just felt this, just hold on for a second. I left it in and I just observed and I saw a man a, who, if, if, for those who've been in New York, you see the mental, mental illness all around you. And because it's so common, people just generally ignore it. They just, let's not, let's not deal with it. That's no indictment. It's just factual. So there's a man going at the prepared food section and he's, he's, he has a walker and he's yelling, berating the people behind, he goes, I need the thing. I need that. He keeps yelling. I need the thing. I need the thing. I need the thing. And they are completely ignoring him. They're completely ignoring him. And I'm wa just watching this whole scene play out. And then I saw a young man. This actually gets me choked up because it was such a, it's such a beautiful moment. A young man who worked for Whole Foods. I later found out his name was Dylan. Dylan walks up to him and he put his hand on his shoulder, the man's shoulder. And I can't, couldn't hear what they're saying. But the man immediately calms down because Dylan's talking with him. Dylan's connecting with him, looking in his eyes. And then Dylan says, uh, you can see him say, you know, one second. Dylan goes and gets a tray for him. He gives him his tray. He set the food on the man's walker. The man couldn't do it without the tray. And then he gently, they walk back to the, the place where, he, where they can sit to eat. And the man's smiling and laughing. I witnessed all of this beautiful moment and that I had no idea. I was probably the only person in that in that grocery store who saw it because everybody else is busy. Others are looking at their phones. But I just saw this beautiful moment. I'm years later telling this story because it reminded me, it was an encouragement to me. There are people in need around us. There are people who need help. There are people it's not worth ignoring them. And they just see there are some beautiful things happening all around me. So I promise you those kind of things that wasn't, I believe, an uncommon thing that would happen. I think that's a relatively common thing, and all we have to do is look out for it. I guarantee you if you walked up to somebody and you looked them in the eyes and you said, hey, are you struggling right now? Anybody. They would think that you are a messenger from God who had this keen insight. No, it's because all of us are struggling. And what a cool, and this is not restrictive, Amy, what a cool opportunity we have all around us, by the way, I'm not great at this. This is still something I'm still working on, but what a cool opportunity we have every single day to do this. That's a little, that was a little sidebar, but I, I think it's, it's a good reminder, even to me for myself to take those moments to do that. So well, what is it? 
I, I was just going to say, Joy, I think the irony there is that so many people, like, like you said, are self-initiating that contact with their phone, yeah. often with the desire to connect or reach out mm. or be important or be seen. When there's all these people who are in their immediate vicinity who would love to be connected with them, but they miss yeah. that. Mm. I was at I was at a I was at church a couple years ago and we were volunteering and we were working at the kind of the welcome desk and there was an area where people could write down prayer requests they've had they have and they could put drop it in the in the in the the the, the box there or the basket and someone it's just so tragic to me this this girl comes up and she puts this in she didn't fold it and all it said was I'm so lonely I just wish someone would talk to me She's at a church with a thousand people around her. And I bet you a quarter of those would say the same thing. I wish someone would talk to me yet. We're passing each other. It's just, we're passing in the night without this initiation and that, you know, it could, it does come back to in many ways, this little feeling of passivity that I think is, is bred by phones. I think we we're very uncomfortable doing that or afraid of what people will think. But again, I, I, the main punchline for me here is this is all opportunity. This is all opportunity. And that, that's with respect to the world. With respect to our kids, what's at stake? I spoke with, a, with an RO member named Rebecca. She lives in Houston last week. And Rebecca told me she has a five-year-old and a three-year-old, both boys. She had her husband, he actually works on an oil rig. He's on, he's on two weeks, he's off two weeks. And she said she had tried everything. She wanted so badly to be there for her boys but she tried everything and she could not put her phone away and she intersected with RO. She said she debated it for a while. And then when she got it, she said, and the, the reason why we found her to begin with, she just commented on Instagram posts from us. And it, she just said, thank you for changing my life. She needed this little tool and what has happened. I think about what's happening in her boys' lives. She's conditioning them in a much different way. Most of us condition our, our kids. This, again, this is me speaking to myself. Most of us condition our kids to believe that our phone's the priority and they're the distraction. That's what they believe, that the kids from a young age, they kind of grow into that conditioning. She tells me that her boys now will say, hey, mom, why don't you put the phone in the box? Hey, mom, can I take your, your phone and put it in the RO box? So what she, what her, what is normal to her boys now is mom's presence. Before what was normal was, hold on one second, I'm looking at my phone. And how many, and, and you know this from, from young kids, how many young kids will call us out? Mommy, no phone, daddy, no phone. That's one thing we've heard a lot was people saying, my kids call me out on it all the time. Well, yeah, because we have, the kids have a natural need for connection. We've inserted an unnatural device between that, between our eyes and their eyes. And I'm, kids are I'm mad, I, kids are pissed off about it. Kids are not happy. And it's no wonder that teenage unhappiness is at an all-time high. It happened started about 15 years ago. Kids started becoming unhappy. And I think boys, especially, you know, it's better than I do, boys are angry. But we all know anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion that's underlied by something even more powerful. And that's sadness. And that's loneliness. And it's because mom and dad, and again, don't receive this listener with shame or anything like that. Mom and dad have been looking at phones instead of your eyes. I believe we have a whole generation of kids right now who have grown up with parents who have looked at screens instead of their eyes. 100%, and not just their parents, yeah. their teachers, the other professionals yes. in their lives. There's screens at school, right? They're on Chrome tablets and iPads, and yeah. they don't have a break. The average kid is spending mm. tens, more than 10 to 15 hours a day between school and at home mm. on a device. Yeah. And so, 
it's parents, it's adults. So we have to first as adults take our own yes. accountability. And I 100% believe, right? Kids are born to attach. Yes. They are born to bond. Mm. But we don't offer that to them. If we yeah. don't show up and, and we're not present, the other thing that's at mm. stake is that pretty soon they'll be like, well, I guess this is what I attached that's to right. then. Yes. And then we that's can't right. be surprised when our kids are 12 and 15 and 17 and addicted <laughs> to video games or their phones, right? Because they're like, right. well, I didn't get connection from you, so I'm getting mm. connection here. Yeah, that's right. It, it's a hundred percent true. The, the, you know, we refer to this as the three M's. So we talk about how we as parents and we are, our, our message is, and people say, Oh, Aro, yeah, a box for my phone that connects to an app and we can get into that. But people will say, Oh, my kids don't have phones yet. So I don't really need this yet. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You are in the perfect spot because this is for yourself. The best, the, the one thing that's absolutely shocked us since we launched RO is that 60%, 70% of our members are families. So we, we serve, we serve families, families who have kids who don't have phones. So it's that special parent who says, I got to work on this for myself. I got to model this better for my, for my kids. So again, the typical model that we see is the three M's. One, we model a bad relationship with our phone. Mm -hmm. Then we give our kid a phone and they mimic what we've modeled for them. But then the third part's the worst part is that we then have the audacity to get mad at our kids. That's the third M, mad. We get mad at our kids when they mimic what we've modeled to them. That's a problem. We can't keep, we can't keep criticizing the kids for this. They are only doing what they have seen as normal. They are only mimicking a relationship with the phone that they've seen from us. Again, yes, this is this feels kind of crappy to hear, but this is all opportunity. This is beautiful. And again, back to the last thing that comes, the, the, the last thing that's at stake for me for our kids' futures, and this doesn't even get into marriages, and we can get into that. But for our kids, we have to do something because if we don't do something, this generation of kids, generation of kids who are on TikTok and Instagram, if we don't do something, this will be the first generation of kids who will die with more of other people's memories than memories they create on their own. And any parent and any professional, no one in those terms would be okay with that. But that's what's at stake. We want kids to create their own memories. We don't want them to live vicarious through, vicariously through others. I, I love this, the three M's. Um, first we model, then they mimic, and then we get mad. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to offer to our listeners, as I was listening to you speak, a fourth M, um, hmm. which is then we have missed opportunity. Ooh, I like that. Right? We have missed opportunity all the time to connect with mm. ourselves, to connect with our world, and to connect with these people that we brought into the world, these little people. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I, I love this so much. Tell, tell me about how you know, the RO product sure. came to be like, I, I yeah. love that you're saying like, we can't fix all the things that are in the phones on the mm. phones, but we could fix the relationship with the phone. Sure. How did, did the RO product come to be? Yeah. Well, we had that, we had this idea that, that we just noticed again, back to our phones are with us all the time. How could we, what if we got rid of it? What if we, what if we set our phones aside? Okay, well, let's begin. We began small. Let's, let's take a shoebox. And let's put it in a shoebox, and that worked okay. And and again, there's nothing. 
there's nothing truly magical necessarily about having the place, but having there is something interesting about having a designated spot for your phone. And so we began with a shoebox. We put it there and we cut some cords through the back and we we ran, you know, we ran chargers through there. And that worked fine. There were a couple of problems. One is I wasn't really getting credit for it. You know, you we like credit. We like we have fitness trackers to see how yeah, what our fitness totally. scores for the day. So I wasn't getting credit for it. It was just a way. The second one is my wife said, you can't keep a shoebox on the kitchen counter. So, <laughs> so I, I said, fair say, enough. I have to say, did you say your wife's name is Kristen? Yes. I have to say, I agree with Kristen. And those of you that are listening on YouTube or watching the video versus listening to us on the podcast, I, I'm sure Joey will pull this down in a minute, but the, the RO box is behind him. And when I first thought about this idea i was like really we're gonna put a box on someone's counter and then i right. saw it and I'm like this is really beautiful so you know kudos to the wife well, who said, like we can't have a shoe box on our counter and believe me it was all it was all the the wives if if i would have designed this if heath would have designed it it would look a lot different than it does now and it's it's we say it's wife design wife approved because you <laughs> want you want beautiful things in your home and and this interestingly, this intersected as we're going through all this, we were reading books on habit formation, books like uh, BJ Fogg's Tiny Habits or Atomic Habits by James Clear. And habits all begin with a visual cue. They begin with a cue. And so the RO box itself is, and I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, the RO box itself serves as a visual reminder and cue to do something, to take an action, to put your phone away. But even more than that, it's a representation of who you would like to be, who you aspire to be, because we become more like the people we aspire to be. If you say for a moment, I am a present father, whether you are or not, if you just say that about yourself, you're going to start doing the things that a present father does. I am an intentional husband. All of a sudden, I'm going to find myself doing things an intentional husband does. And so I become that intentional husband that I said I was already just, be, just by identifying yourself as that. So, so back to the, the origin, we, we had the shoebox and then we said, okay, what if we built, what if we built an app, just a dummy app to test if we were to just track the time that we're away from our phone? What if we just quantified the time only? And so we did that. We put a Bluetooth beacon in the shoebox and then we we connected it to an app and then we started seeing, oh, this is this is something. So we went a little more high tech. We built a what looked like little wooden cigar boxes and then we put it in some people's homes, 30 or so families. And we said, OK, tell us about your experience. And there was something very fascinating about that. There were two things. One of them is the visual cue was super powerful, seeing the thing that has one one purpose that purpose is to hold your phone so that you can be present. So there's a purpose behind it holding your phone. The second thing was when they took their phones out and they saw on this app how much time they were away from their phone, virtually to a person, they said, I feel so proud of myself. Man, I feel proud of myself, which is an amazing statement. I think it's, it's you know, so in some ways it's sad. You're proud of putting away from your, your you know, putting away for your phone for a little bit, but that's okay. So we, as we went further and further, we said, okay, this is, this is really interesting that people are having this experience with it. So we, we be, went down the product development route and we had, we did other things. We said, okay, it needs to be totally seamless. We need, when you drop the phone, it needs to automatically connect to the app. We need to gamify that experience of being away from your phone, all with the, the goal of making it easy. Like I said, just remove the friction of putting your phone down. And then people said, 
okay, what do I do now? When, now that I'm away from my phone, I don't exactly know what to do. So <laughs> we, we, um, you can tag your sessions to see what other people are doing. Hey, here's what I did. I was working. I had, I was reading, I had a family movie. One of the cool things for families we recommend all the time is watch a family movie without a second screen. That again, a little bit of a sad thing that we need that, but there's a really interestingly powerful thing that happens when you do that because everybody versus four people sitting on a couch, each looking, each having their own experience on their phones and their screen, you're creating a common experience my son, Harrison, he and I, we have a list of about 100 movies we want to watch together. So we, whenever we get a chance, we'll watch a movie together. And you know what we do for the next month? We joke back and forth with the lines. We talk about, oh, how cool is that? And they had the big reveal at the end. All this stuff, it's creating these common experiences. My daughter, who's now 13, when she was 9 or 10, we were as we were working on RO, we watched a Harry Potter movie. She loves Harry Potter. So at the time she did. And so at the end of it, she turns to me and she wasn't trying to make a beautiful moment here. She was just stating something factually. She said, daddy, did you know that's the first time that we watched a movie and you haven't had your phone? Wow. Which, which gut punch in one sense, but in the other sense, I thought, oh, I can't wait to watch another movie so I can do this all over again. And that's the habit loop mm -hmm. it begins with a cue. It leads to a routine, it crescendos in a reward. And that yeah. reward, we've built in that reward system within the app from patting you on the back, doing a celebration when you reach your daily goal, competing against others. And then when you feel good about yourself through a reward, you start all the way back over when the cue happens. So that loop continues. Mm -hmm. And I'll make one distinction that is, is, is debatable, but just for the purposes of language, we don't use the term addiction when it comes to our phones which again, smart people like you can argue this, but the reason why is because when you have something that's addictive, when you are addicted to something, you do two things. One of them is the very first thing you do is you, you admit your complete powerlessness over the thing. I'm totally powerless. I can't do anything about it. Two, you completely abstain from the thing. We're suggesting two completely opposite things. We're saying you don't have to abstain. You need to build a better set of habits around this thing. And two, instead of saying you're powerless, you say, no, I have agency over this. I am in control of this. There is something that I can do about this. There are better, there's a better set of habits around it. And again, back when you say, when you recognize, then you, when you say you're addicted, it's almost like you're throwing your hands up there. Well, nothing I can do about it. Well, I'm just, I'm just addicted to it. So we believe we have a personal sense of agency that is very, very powerful and we believe we don't have to abstain from it, that we can actually harness the good from it and we can be the ones that control it and put it down. Mm -hmm. I wanna say something uh, to my listeners about what you mentioned before about not having these competing screens when you're doing family time or people not being sure what to do when they put the phone in the RO box. Mm -hmm. Everybody who works with me as a professional know that I prescribe what's called special time with your kids, which is just uninterrupted time with your kids on a continual basis. It doesn't have to be really expensive. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to be hours and hours and hours, but it needs to be really high quality and they need to have your full presence for all the reasons we've been talking about today. Um, and so if you're not sure what to do with your kid when you're away from your phone and they're away from your phone, ask them, mm -hmm. ask your kid. Kids love to play. They love to engage. They love to have time. If you say to your kid, you know what, I'm putting this away. And I, you know, I got this for me, like I might have like a business meeting to, that I have later or a proposal that I need to write up. But right now I have 30 minutes mm. that's yours. 
completely yours. What do you want to do? Oh my gosh, most kids don't even know what to say, yeah. right? But they will come up, let's bake, mommy. Let's go mm. for a walk. Um, do you want to go for a run with me? Can we, you know, listen to some music? If you have teenagers, right? Let them teach you a crazy TikTok dance that they've learned. Um, you know, ask them to talk to you about their friends, create a fun playlist mm. together, dance in your living room. I mean, like kids have such beautiful ideas because they're born to connect with us. And so if you're mm. not sure as an adult what to do when you're away from your phone, ask a child. Their so natural work is play, right? Mm. And that's the other so thing true. that you were mentioning, Joey, about addiction, right? And that's why I mentioned before, um, Dr. Sumrock says, you know, addiction shouldn't be called addiction. It should be called comfort seeking. Yes. And often we're using our phones as a way of comfort seeking. But, but when we begin to have a different relationship with them, we'll find other ways to comfort seek, to be in relationship, mm. to be comforted by people and being with versus being away from. Mm. And that's really hard for some people. It's, it's, it's really hard because it feels vulnerable. Yes. And I promise that the people that are in your life that are, that are like you mentioned, your, your three people, your primary people, they want that desperately from mm. you. They, Absolutely. They that desperately. So I know that some people will be listening, but will you just show us the, the RO box? Yeah. What it looks like there. Sure. And maybe we can kind of describe it to folks as you're, um, if you're, and we'll link to, to Aro's uh, Instagram and everything on the podcast so that you can go and see it. You should look at it on Instagram. It's really beautiful, but just describe it to folks. Yeah. It's, it's a white fabric wrap. Um, it's a, it's a beautiful white fabric wrap with a, with a bamboo lid. So natural wood lid. And as you open it, you have four channels for those looking the four channels with chargers in there. So you charge your phone. Those that's a key. Obviously consideration is making sure you can charge it. And it serves as a home decor piece. It's one of those things when someone walks into your home, like, Oh, what, what is that like that? And so it's, it's um, again, aesthetic is aesthetic is critical. So it has that, that kind of feel like that, that feel for now. We, we found, we had a black version that we were beta testing and 95% of people, 98% of people said, no, the white that fits in a nice clean aesthetic. So it's just a beautiful thing. It's smaller than a toaster, you know, and it, it, it lives for families. It is, I'll say it again, we're built for families. There's nothing, this has shocked us. There's, there's nothing, no other solution when it comes to screen time out there that is for the entire family. It's generally to restrict apps for kids or to build personal productivity. We think this is a whole family thing. We think we all have to be in on this together. So it's, it is built again with four, four spots for phones. You can pile as many as you want. My kids, when they have friends over, they'll pile their phones in there, which is interesting because you think that teenagers, oh, how can they survive without their phones? I just don't think we're giving our kids enough credit. They actually like it. Oh they gosh, actually like the Give them a chance. I totally chance. agree. I totally yeah. agree. Um, I'll share one little story before we wrap sure. up here. And we, we, when my, my, my son's 17 now, almost 17, but when he was like five or six, he had a play date with a buddy and the buddy came over to the house. And um, people who know me know that I don't have video games in my house, never have. Um, and so his little friend comes over and he's, they're five or six years old. And he goes, where's your PlayStation, Amy? And I said, oh, we don't have one. And he goes, what about your Wii? And I said, oh yeah, we don't have one of those either. And he kept going through all these things. Well, we could watch a show. And I said, here's what I've got for you. And I looked at him and my son and I gave them uh, one of those little laser beams, you know, that you use for like to, for a cat yeah. <laughs> and a ball of string. 
and our bonus room. And I said, that's what I've got for you. <laughs> and they took this, they took this ball of string and they made like these like ninja pathways and like, you know, like uh, mission impossible with the lasers mm. that you couldn't touch. And his mom came to pick him up later. Um, and he said to her mom, this was the best play date I wow. ever had. And that was with a kid who'd never had a phone, but mm. had a lot of exposure to screens. So yeah. I just think that Aro is solving a really big problem. And, and to mm. your point, um, when I see my Peloton staring at me, I'm yes. more likely to get on it. When I pay for a membership to something, I feel guilty if I don't use it. And so if, if nothing else, it provides you a mechanism to yeah. be more intentional about a habit that you're trying to create, which is more presence with your family. And I, I know I mentioned to you, Joey, when we started, like I work mostly with professionals. Can you imagine if every pediatrician had an RO box in their exam room? Wow. And just said, yeah. park, it, park it here mm. while we're in your kid's well-child check. Give me your 100% attention. Or every teacher had one in their classroom that a kid could say, I'm gonna go to Miss Smith's class and I'm gonna check in my phone in the RO box and just be a student today. Mm. Right. Like to me, like there's family and yes, every, I, I just think this is so cool. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, it's a couple of weeks before the, the winter holidays or Christmas or whatever you celebrate, um, you have time to, to do something really fun with this. But I also think beyond that, there's so much modeling to the three mm. M's that we are talking about yeah. that professionals, we can take the first step, right? when I used to have a physical therapy office for my clients, I had a red basket and anybody who's listening that remembers this, <laughs> I say, park your phones in the red basket. Mm. Like you're putting it in the basket, yeah. not on phones when we're in my office. Um, mm. You know, if there's something you need to tell me about or show me, like you're just going to have to describe it to me with your words because in yeah. here, we're in my, but imagine like that was like years ago, if I would have had one of those boxes, I could have been like, here, charge it here. Mm. Right? It'll be here. When, but we're going to yeah. put it here. We're going to be fully present during therapy. Like every therapist could have. I just think there's so much possibility. So well, uh, the, right. the, the world you just described where every where people are present with each other and where it is in every pediatrician's office and where people are connecting and kids are connecting that world you described. I believe in that world. I believe, I believe that we, I believe we can create that world. Our mission, our vision is to create an entire generation of intentional families. And I believe in that world, not naively. I believe it's not just a possibility, but a probability. I think we have a growing awareness of it and it's going to take all of us, but I do believe in that world you just described. Yeah. Yeah. I want it for all of us. Okay. I have what I call my three rapid fires Ooh. questions. Um, so number one is, um, Tell me one thing that people are getting wrong about this right now. Hmm. Like for your, your particular mission and vision, yeah. what is, what's one thing that people are getting wrong? I, th I think people are getting the thing that, that people are getting wrong the most is looking at it like it's somebody else's problem and not looking inside first. We can have, if you had a pie chart, it's almost like you need to carve out whatever slice of this pie is your responsibility. And it could be all of it, could be 50%, 25, it could be just 1%, even if there's one. Now just focus on that 1%. Don't worry about your wife for now, especially with husbands. I tell them, hey, bring this into your home. Don't ask anybody else to do it at first. You model it, you lead the way and you show them and it's going to do some amazing things. But if you try to go and force it and it's it, no, 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 this is a you thing for now. And when you begin to model and build a culture 
And again, a culture is the taken for granted assumptions of the way the way a group works. So all of a sudden, if they're used to dad being present, they're going to follow. If they're used to your husband being, you know, if if the wife's used to her husband being present, she's going to follow. Same thing, wife. Start it for yourself. All of a sudden, your husband's going to join you. All of a sudden, your kids are going to join you. But don't impose it on them. It has to be your thing. It has to be something for you. Oh, I love that so much. I love it. Um, second question is, uh, what's one thing in your life right now that's just bringing you joy? Mm, this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but it brings me joy on the other side of me messing up. I know that sounds a little abstract, but I find whenever I go through something that's a difficult, or if I make a mistake on my own, I find that that's the moment to that's the moment to grow. So I feel like I'm in a period of growth right now, which is really really fun. John Maxwell, an author, he says that growth isn't guaranteed in turmoil, but that's the only environment in which it happens. So it's only in turmoil. So in difficulty, turmoil, and it doesn't have to be big or small. And I know this is a bit of an odd an odd answer, but. I'm I'm finding joy right now in personal growth that is only as a result of shortcomings. I love that. Yeah, so good. And last question, um, easiest question. It's uh, 10 or 11 o'clock at night and you have a food craving. What do you oh. reach for? Oh, goodness, I have such a sweet tooth. It, it's <laughs> it's un, it's unbelievable. So I, I would I would probably find my way to a bowl of cereal. Uh, that would probably be the one. If there's ice cream in the house, the entire carton's going to get eaten. Um, I'm kind of a big guy. I'm about six, five. So I, I, I can, I can load it down pretty well. You could so put away it, a whole box of cereal. I could absolutely. Oh, no <laughs> doubt about it. So it, that's, it, it's absolutely something sweet. There's no question about it. That's awesome. Um, Joey Odom, thank you so much. We will link up to our Instagram and all the best ways to reach you. Um, my hope is that this reaches families and professionals and that yeah. we really begin um, changing the way we're connecting. It is the most important medicine to mm. connect with other people in our lives. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for solving problems and, and thank you for your mission. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate it. Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing here, please download my free resource called 10 Guiding Principles to Nurture Connection and Help Children and Families Thrive. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing yours because your humanity will heal others. Bye for now.